FT picks their timing superbly in terms of gathering some of the most important market participants in the room as we think about what does this crisis or potential crisis mean for commodity markets? Certainly the underlying commodities are still the main focus, but you've seen obviously the addition of things like carbon, hydrogen, shipping. And I think it's helpful for people to come here to see that it's not just an oil conference or it's not just a natural gas conference, that it does have other asset classes that do need discussion points and certainly are addressed here. It's really interesting to see how these legacy players look at the energy transition and some of the thoughts that they have and the ways that they're changing their business. I've heard some very interesting things about potential financing structures. As it's a nascent market, we're looking for intelligent ways that we can mitigate risk in the absence of a liquid forward curve, that we can still invest and develop these projects without just turning it into a massive one-way bet or long bubble. And it takes all the market to get together to kind of build a functioning, successful marketplace. And I think most people, if not everybody here, recognizes that fact. We're dealing with entirely new fundamentals, new commodities, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for innovation and lots Lots of opportunity for new ways of thinking about these markets. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to a special episode of Smarter Markets. Today, we're going to take you back about a month to the FT Global Commodity Summit in Lausanne, Switzerland. We were able to attend this year and worked with the Financial Times to do some mini interviews around the conference and bring you some scenes from this gathering of commodity experts, practitioners, and trading houses. To kick us off today, we have Leslie Hook, Natural Resources Editor at the Financial Times. Leslie was the host of the conference and will introduce our scenes from the FT Global Commodity Summit at Luzon. Thanks so much for having me, David, and I'm delighted to be here to share some thoughts on the FT Commodities Summit in 2023. This is one of the real highlights of the year for the FT and for my entire team of journalists that are covering commodities, energy, and mining and uh, it was a really fantastic event this year. It was my first year chairing the event. I became natural resources editor of the FT in September. Even though it was my first time, I do remember very clearly when the event was first launched in 2012. At the time, I was the Beijing correspondent for the FT, was covering natural resources in China and Mongolia, as well as the environment there. And it was the height of the Chinese-driven commodities super cycle. I was sort of right at the center of the story. And, and I just remember the excitement in my colleagues' voices when they were talking about launching uh, this summit in Lausanne. And now it's grown to be even bigger, even better, I hope. And it's a real honor to, to be taking over this fabulous event. Some of the big themes that we talked about this year were Ukraine and, of course, the fallout of the uh, Russian invasion there, what that means for energy markets the other huge theme was the energy transition. And a lot of the companies that have traditionally been on the stage talking about oil markets or gas markets were there instead talking about carbon emissions or their hydrogen strategy. And I think that's going to be a, continue to be a theme next year uh, and in the coming years for this event as we're seeing the world, the energy producers and the trading houses respond to this energy transition that's taking place 
uh, with bumps along the way, with fits and starts and perhaps unevenly, but still very much impacting how things happen on the ground. I think there's also a few things that the Financial Times really cares about when we think about our coverage of commodities and markets. Uh, When I was appointed natural resources editor, uh, my previous job was leading our climate coverage. So I was going to the cops and covering clean energy. And I think our editors wanted me to bring that uh, clean energy lens to commodities markets and help kind of build out that side of our coverage. And the FT has also been bolstering its coverage of the energy transition. We're just appointing our first clean energy correspondent, in fact. And the FT also brings a journalistic ethos to the summit. This isn't only a a business conference. It's also a place to bring accountability, transparency, and and ask the tough questions. Uh, That's what our role is. And I think it's a sort of unique forum for the trading houses to take the global stage, to speak in public. And that wasn't always the case, particularly before this summit existed. There uh, was very rare to hear from many of these, these CEOs who would come out and talk about their strategies in public. Another change that we're delighted to be making is to be improving diversity at the summit. This uh, was our first year where we had at least one woman on every single panel, and there's still a ways to go there, but we are improving in that uh, regard. And I'm also looking forward to bringing more geographical diversity, racial diversity to the conversation next year. And as well as expanding our focus on the energy transition, also hoping to bring in a little more metals, which we had uh, several metal sessions this year, and, and agricultural commodities as well. So that's some of what we've been doing, some of what's in store. Overall, it was a real honor to be taking over inheriting this fantastic event from my predecessors and looking forward to continuing to grow it in the future. So where would you like to take the conference next year, Leslie? Well, it's hard to know what will happen between now and 2024. By the way, the dates are April 8th through 10th, a little bit later, April 8th through 10th, 2024 will be the next summit. And unexpected events always happen at the last minute. We had the banking crisis and the forced marriage of Credit Suisse and UBS just days before the summit began this year. So we don't know what will happen, but I think the big themes will continue. The energy transition is going to be an even bigger story. We will still have some fallout from the Russian conflict in in Ukraine and the way that's reshaped uh, energy markets. And I think by April next year, we'll also have a sense of what's happening to the global economy and are these gloomy signals that we're seeing now, these risks of recession, fears of a banking crisis going to materialize or not. So we will know that uh, by then. And you at the FT certainly have a way of picking the timing of the conference, because as you said, this year it was shortly after the failure of Credit Suisse and its takeover by UBS, and the year before it was shortly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of news prior to the conference next year. Hopefully some good news rather than some bad news. We'll take it. we'll, We'll take what we can get. Our first guest is Jeff Curry, Global Head of Commodities Research at Goldman Sachs. Jeff sat down with us shortly after his keynote interview at the FT Global Commodity Summit. So, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, you've been, how long have you been coming to the On and off for about the 12 years. For about the whole 12 years. And I was curious, what have you seen change in the nature of the conversation, the nature of the people coming to the conference over those 12 years? Number one, sharp reduction in investors. 
Uh, you see it in you know the the managed money levels, the number of hedge funds, uh, the amount of real money in commodities. It's dropped precipitously, which is pretty consistent with the attendance. You know, there's a you know you look at the oil panel just now it had more representative of the industry than a hedge fund. I think Pierre was the only hedge fund manager up yeah, there. I so right. I think you know it's it's a it's a very different setup from that perspective. The other thing too is the greening of it. In terms of you, you listen to many of the questions, they're, they're focused much more on you know more of the green as opposed to the dirty commodities, and then the which should be expected, you know, with energy transition, and then I say I would argue that the third one is there's a much greater focus on metals, and I think that's because of you know green metals, green capex, so it's kind of tied to the second one. Right. And that brings me to the second question. I think thought leader is an overused phrase, but you are definitely the thought leader in the commodity space. And I know you're on a keynote address this morning, keynote interview. Coming in here, what were the, the actionable ideas that you wanted to bring to the conference that you wanted people to take away? I, yeah, I think first and foremost is to understand what drives a commodity super cycle? You know, Dave, you and I go back into the 2000s and thinking about commodity cycles. But now, you know, having sat in the seat for 27 years, I have a much greater perspective. And it just really boils down to the need for physical capital. It's physical capital to grow oil supply, physical capital to grow copper supply. What happened over the last decade, we've now seen this three times. You know, you and I were ones who coined the term the revenge of the old economy. You know, it just put bluntly is the returns are better in the new economy than the old economy and capital was redirected to the new economy, choking off the investment that would have otherwise grown the supply base. And there is the, the core of the problem. But what I've really picked up, particularly in the last six months, is the 2010s were identical to the 1990s, which were identical to the 1960s, all characterized by low and stable inflation, lower interest rates, and investors chasing long-duration, new economy tech-type instruments, leaving the old economy starved of the capital that needed to grow the supply base. And you're pushed into these environments with um, higher commodity prices and the need to make investments. And you know, so, in other words, a commodity super cycle is a capex cycle. And when we think about what are the higher interest rates telling you to do, put money to work in the economy today. And it's just fairly simple. So you know, a lot of people are questioning whether or not we're in a super cycle or not. No, I mean, the higher interest rates are telling you, invest in this stuff. I like to point out Fed rate hikes, um, they may cure the symptom, which is inflation, but they don't cure the underlying illness, which is underinvestment. Yeah, and it really ties into your first comment about investors not being at the conference. Mm -hmm. Where's the money going to come from? <laughs> it's going to come out of the new economy. NASDAQ's up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think, I, I think the key is what's going to create that redirection of capital. And when you and I were doing this in 0203 in that time period, what it ultimately took was really bad returns in the new economy. And by 0405, we saw that rotation. And I think that's ultimately what's going to have to kind of happen here. Because right now, they're making more money being in NASDAQ than they are being in an old economy. Yeah. Any ideas you've heard? Any kindred spirits or you know new ideas for yourself that you're taking away from the conference? Yeah, I would say what I've taken away is a newfound respect for the difficulty in clean energy technology. 
whether if it's the energy required to create the pressure for hydrogen leading to a substantial deterioration in available um, energy or you know the amount of metals needed in EVs. So, you know, these are going to be very expensive. And I think that the message that I'm taking away and trying to reinforce is the cost of decarbonization is just going to be tremendously high. All of these technologies are very expensive. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you with that. So you've said this cycle you know, has a lot of similarities to the CapEx cycles of the 90s, of the 2000s, they even went back to the 1960s and 70s. But of course, this time, there's the whole green transition element to it. So if you look out at markets with your 27 years of experience and look at this cycle and what's potentially different about it, what do you think we need in terms of, you know, new markets, new tools to manage this cycle and to manage the risks? That I, are new risks create new opportunities. And I would argue that the focus here is on transition risk. It's something that investors have yet to harness. And, you know, whether it is this duration and I was talking about on the panel, which is you get oil, it gives you cash flow today versus, um, you know, something green that doesn't give you cash flow for, you know, 10 years or something. And so bridging that gap is a new kind of risk that needs to be thought about. But also, you know, in things like, you know, whether if it was nickel, you know, that Jeremy Weir was talking about, you know, the, the fitness of current contracts. Um, we're dealing with entirely new fundamentals, new commodities. And I think the, the contracts need to be thought about in terms of their appropriateness given the current environment. So I think there's, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for innovation and lots of opportunity for new ways of thinking about these markets. Thanks again, Jeff. Our next guest is Halima Croft, Managing Director and Head of Global Commodity Strategy and Middle East and North Africa Research at RBC Capital Markets. Halima sat down with us after participating on a panel on pricing oil in a low-carbon world. Have we seen the last oil boom? Great to see you, Halima. I wanted to ask you, I think this is your first year at the conference, but how would you describe the nature of the conversations that are occurring and how did that compare to what you expected coming in? It is my first year attending, but I've been a close observer of this incredibly important conference. And I do think what is so interesting for the past two years is this conference is held right as we are in the early days of what looks to be some sort of crisis. I mean, think about last year, it was the early days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Nobody really knew the scale of the Russian supply disruption. People were forecasting potentially multi-million barrel disruption out of Russia, concerns about other you know, Russian commodity exports. Now we're here in the early days in Switzerland of all places, and the question is, is there going to be some type of contagion to commodities from this crisis in the banking sector? So to me, FT picks their timing superbly in terms of gathering some of the most important market participants in the room as we think about what does this crisis or potential crisis mean for commodity markets? And in terms of the things that are being thought about and discussed, I was curious, what sort of ideas did you want to bring to the conference this year to share with the participants? And if there are any ideas that you've heard here so far that you really want to take away? Well, one of the things I sort of wanted to bring up, and I, I did in my panel, someone told me three times, is when we think about sort of what are the underappreciated risks, we, we focus so much on the big story of the day in terms of this year, 
It was, is it going to be Powell or Putin that the market is most concerned about? Obviously, the big story right now is the contagion story. But I also wanted to sort of put a spotlight on some of the other issues that have been under the surface, but if they become bigger, could have an outsized market impact. I'm I'm deeply concerned about the Iranian nuclear program. I think that in previous years, if we had had Iran this close to being a threshold nuclear state, Bibi Netanyahu back in power in Israel, there'd be a lot more focus on the potential for some type of conflict around that nuclear program. I mean, it was just in Saudi. They just did that deal with Iran. But I think that reflects Saudi anxiety about, you know, potentially being targeted in the event that there is an Israeli strike. And the Saudis essentially saying, we're going to take proactive measures to ensure that we're not the tip of the spear of an Iranian response. So to me, I wanted to sort of bring back into the conversation some of the stories that we have sort of neglected. And to me, one of the biggest takeaways that I had not appreciated was this discussion about the Russian oil flows and the fact that you have new market participants that may not have the same type of technical expertise. And is there a potential risk of, for example, environmental catastrophes? I mean, to me, when I was sitting on that panel, that was my kind of aha moment is, what are the risks around having certain type of tanker fleets moving Russian barrels? What are the environmental risks? What are the headlines that could be coming three to six months from now around that? And the FT will certainly have their conference at the time those come to yes. the forefront. And so far, we've rattled off war, geopolitics shifting in a generational way, energy transition, the environment. In this commodity environment that we're moving into, what do you see as, what does the industry need to be able to deal with everything that's coming its way? I hear more than anything, we need clarity. We need a clear message from governments in terms of what the regulatory regime is going to be around energy. Certainly in the United States, there's a lot of conversation around speed in the permitting process. You just had the U.S. Energy Secretary Granholm, you know, announce measures to try to speed that up. That has been one of the biggest asks of energy companies in the United States. When I think to Europe, the real question is, what is going to be the basis of Europe's energy security? What role does natural gas play in that? Is this still a transition fuel? Is it a destination fuel? What type of contracting environment needs to be put in place to ensure Europe's long-term energy security needs are met? And I think that's going to be a very important conversation. Do they move more to long-term contracts for natural gas? Do they still remain largely spot market participants? What happens next year if we have a colder winter in Europe? And I think the bigger question is what is the outlook for Europe if we do not have Russian molecules on a multi-year basis? Thanks again to Halima Croft. Our next guest is Alistair Weir, an advisor at AIDA, the International Emissions Trading Association. All right, Alistair, this is your first year at the Global Commodity Summit, right? I'm curious what your, what your impressions are of the nature of the conference. It is indeed. It, it's a kind of fantastic place to be. I, I spend a lot of the year traveling to a lot of carbon conferences and to see the kind of diversity of stakeholders and the quality of stakeholders here is, is truly astonishing, I think. It's really interesting to see how these legacy players look at the energy transition and some of the thoughts that they have and the ways that they're changing their business. Yeah, and I've noticed this year there's a lot more conversation around the carbon markets than in prior years. And I was curious if there's any ideas, you know, relative to the rest of the conference circuit that you've attended, any ideas here that you're taking away or were surprising? I think it's just interesting to see how seriously these major corporates are taking the challenge. 
and the fact that they're really implementing relatively novel solutions and being just in a panel on supply chain traceability and listening to the likes of Glencore and Trafigur and Palantir and the work that they're doing together. And it's quite fascinating that the approach they're taking in terms of leveraging things like AI to solve the challenges of around scope three emissions. That's the other thing I wanted to ask you about. In terms of your specialty in the carbon markets, as you look forward, where do you see us needing things in terms of new markets, new technology, new tools for the next, say, 10, 20 years? So my role at IETA kind of leaves me to spend the majority of my time looking at applications of blockchain. And we've been involved with the World Bank and the government of Singapore to launch Climate Action Data Trust back in December, which is a metadata layer for carbon markets aggregating and harmonizing data from independent and national registries to create this sort of transparent single source of truth that the market needs to rely upon. And if I look at technologies going forwards, I think really it kind of boils down to standardization, transparency, creating some sort of uniform language that we can all agree to communicate it. Without that foundation, I think it's really difficult to scale the market to where it needs to be by 2030 and 2050. And so having transparent markets that we can start building interesting financial products on the back of both spot futures exchange derivative products all of which are sorely needed to provide the liquidity and, and the kind of hedging functionality that corporates will need going forwards where do you see us being in that creating the harmonization and standardization that we're going to need so i, I think there's roles to be played as kind of convening forces and i know that abex has been very involved in the lng markets trying to create some sort of standardized product I think we'll likely need the same sort of convening power around the creation of futures markets for for carbon credits and and other environmental assets. Looking forwards, I mean, a lot of the conversation here today has been about biodiversity, and that's obviously an increasing trend. So I think there's a role to be played in terms of convening market participants, getting to some sort of consensus and creating new products that the market can trade. Where do you think the market participants are on being willing to convene that way? I mean, I guess you've had a lot of conversations here. So I think we need to recognize the fact that environmental markets are relatively nascent. Biodiversity is being born as we speak. Carbon markets are less than 25 years. If you compare that to, to gold or, or physical oil, I mean, we're talking about centuries or millennia. And, and it takes all the market to get together to kind of build a functioning, successful marketplace. And I think most people, if not everybody here, recognizes that fact. Thanks again to Alistair Weir. Our next guest is Michael Curran head of emissions trading at VTOL. Michael joined us after his panel discussion on carbon trading and the voluntary carbon markets. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Michael. Pleasure. As you know, we've been doing some of these little mini interviews around the FT Global Commodities Summit, which has been going on for about 12 years. I don't know how long you've been attending, but I'm curious, how do you find the nature of the ideas being discussed? Do you think they've changed over the years? And what made you want to come to the conference this year? So I'm a little bit of a neophyte. So this is only my second year here. And um, frankly, I came because I was invited for one of these panels mm-hmm. as, per, as per today. So speaking to the changes in this conference, probably not the best person, but in terms of general. So I was down in Cape Town last week for the African Refiners and Distribution Association. Mm-hmm. And that has moved very swiftly from carbon transition as a peripheral issue to it's actually probably not half of the conference and actually the main, the main interest for the people attending the conference. So I think there's a general shift, a very clear shift. Right. And having a panel on carbon markets, which you were on this morning, is definitely a highlight of that shift. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was curious too, like when you were thinking about coming here, 
the panel you were going to be on. What were the sort of ideas that you wanted to really bring and make sure made an impression on the folks attending? So I think, I mean, very clearly, if we break again, as one of my points this morning, there isn't a carbon market, there are markets. But I think in terms of the pressure and stress that the voluntary markets, or at least some of the voluntary projects have come under, I just wanted to flag the fact that this is a work in progress. It's a nascent market. Now I'm contradicting myself by just using the singular um, and that it will have to sort itself out. But this transparency is a good thing. The fact that it's getting criticized now, the fact that people are saying, whoa, 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 we need to look under the hood. We need to do a lot more checking is a healthy thing. It's better that this happens now when it's a market of a few billion dollars than it's a market of $500 billion and we have a serious, uh, you know, CDS type situation and um, things break down. So I think that's a healthy thing. And then uh, one of the other things I wanted to flag is I really think that we need to look at the supply and demand, again, coming to back from a trader's perspective. And, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on Africa and I really want to make sure that Africa benefits from isn't, you know, ESG is not used as a stick and transition is not used as a stick against Africa, but is deemed as an opportunity for the African continent. Right. Give them the opportunity to enjoy the growth and economic development that we have. Yeah, exactly. And particularly in a place like Geneva, driving around in your five liter SUV and then saying, oh, but it would be nice if uh, Africa could just not develop this, and not develop that. And I think it's incumbent upon us, particularly the people who uh, have been trading or are active in fossil fuels, to be part of that solution, not just to say, okay, it's a problem, but to deal with the financing, deal with the monetization in a fair way, which is not expropriation. And I was curious, were there any ideas you heard while at the conference that you're like, oh, I want to take that one away? I've heard some very interesting things about potential financing structures. So I think this is, again, for us, as it's a nascent market, it's not liquid. I think I was saying at one point, you have to go upstream in these carbon projects. And I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for intelligent ways that we can mitigate risk in the absence of a liquid forward curve, that we can still invest and develop these projects without just turning it into a massive one-way bet or long bubble. And brings me to my last point with you, which is as you look at developing these carbon markets, as as you emphasized, in terms of benchmarks, in terms of technology, in terms of tools to manage risk and provide financing, what do you see as the the big things that these markets are going to need if they're going to develop? Well, clearly, we would really appreciate a liquid and coherent and rigorous forward curve. I mean, whether that's a Platts index, whether it's a futures exchange, whether it's whatever it might be, whatever flavor it comes in, something that people can have confidence in. And particularly if it's uh, you know an exchange where you have physical delivery, that people are confident in the physical delivery, but also that you can then structure products against because people have confidence in an index or a curve uh, that they can manage their risk and trade and, and effectively do deals against. Thanks again to Michael Curran. Our final guest is Joe Rea, Chief Commercial Officer at Abex Exchange. Hi, Joe. It's good to be able to sit down with you at the end of the FT Global Commodities Summit here in Lausanne. This is the 12th one. I'm curious, how long have you been coming here? I guess it's been probably, well, I came to the first one back in 2011, but obviously COVID stopped a couple of them, but really on and off pretty much for 12 years. And it's definitely changed in its structure a bit. Um, It's certainly grown in its size, but the venue is fantastic. The amount of people that you have access to from our business across all asset classes is uh, unprecedented. You know, there's nothing like it anywhere in the the marketplace right now. And you're the perfect person to ask this question (laughs) of, given that you were at the first one. Mm -hmm. How do you see like the the tone and the, the topics being discussed? 
how has that changed over the past few years? Yeah, it's, it's certainly the underlying commodities are still the main focus, crude oil, natural gas. But you've seen, obviously, the addition of things like carbon, hydrogen, uh, shipping really also be added as, as streams of discussion. And I think it's helpful for people to come here to see that it's not just an oil conference or it's not just a natural gas conference, that it does have other asset classes that, uh, that do need discussion points and certainly um, are addressed here. Now, I was curious, were there ideas that you wanted to bring to the conference this year to share with the other participants? And maybe were there any ideas that you heard here that you want to make sure you take away with you? Yeah, I think some of the things about some of the products um, that we're going to be uh, launching on, on Avex Exchange in not too not too distant future. I think new products also, new ideas for new products are important, like nickel. We heard some interesting comments from Jeremy Weir at Trafigura about the issues around the tr- around the nickel market, the current nickel market. I think we're ho- hoping that the products we launch will address some of those issues. I think the, the sustainability issue is still definitely a relevant topic that um, was addressed fairly well. I think maybe that could be addressed even more because it is an important topic for all of the firms that are here across all of the asset classes. And so, yeah, so I think that there's always new topics coming up. I think next year you'll see maybe more focus on the issues around carbon offsets and shipping, which will be coming into fold pretty much as the conference starts next year. So that'll be something that'll be important and how that's being addressed by the global shipping community. Um, and certainly, you know, LNG is an issue too, and that's, that's not going to go away. And it'll be interesting to see how Europe deals with the issues of supply going into uh, this coming winter. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of great topics that are always discussed here. I think the way they do it in the, in the format that they do it um, with high quality people is, is also a great way to get those, those points out. And I mean, you're clearly focused on building better benchmarks for these markets, better futures contracts, better tools for managing risk. When you look out and with what you've heard, you know, from the, the fellow participants in the conference this week, you know, what do you see as the big items that these markets need to grow and develop over the next decade? Yeah, you heard it on your your panel today, right? Transparency, better markets. You heard it on on Jeremy Weir's panel. You heard it on CFO panel, better transparency, more efficiency. Those are the things that are definitely recurring themes year to year. But certainly last year, we heard it in about the oil markets issues when margins were so high and, um, and collateral uh, usage was so stressful on balance sheets. Um, certainly that's eased a lot. But this year, they're still talking about markets and better transparent markets being needed. So that's an important thing. And that speaks to what we're trying to build um, here also. Thanks again to Joe Rea and all of our guests. And special thanks to Leslie Hook and the FT for inviting us to be a media partner at the FT Global Commodity Summit. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of Smarter Markets, and we hope to see you again next week as we continue our series on Carbon Frontiers. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by ABAX. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. 
Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening and please join us again next week.